Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of It's Too Wordy, the comic book podcast where three buddies discuss comic books from their childhood and today. Maybe one day I'll get that right without uh, misspoke speaking my words. (laughs) I'm Kirk. I'm Ryan. And I'm Nick. So this week we are... uh, on the letter I, and we'll also be discussing Avengers number 33. Or Legacy number 733. <laughs> there you go. So what? which one do we want to do first? Do we want to do our separate ones first? Yeah, we can do that. All right, I'll go first. I did Iron Man number 100 from July of 1977. (laughs) It is called Ten Rings to Rule the World. Uh, Tony Stark travels to China to rescue Kevin O'Brien, who is disguised as Iron Man and who had been captured by the Mandarin. Um, Iron Man invades Mandarin's castle. He encounters and defeats his death squad. Um, Mandarin freezes Iron Man with his rings and explains, because, you know, the the bad guy's always got to have a monologue, you know, explains how he survived his death at the hands of the Yellow Claw. Right, And he explains that he transferred his consciousness into his rings. And when the Claw's servant, Lockdo, placed the rings on his hands, the Mandarin took over his form. Hmm. Um, Iron Man being the thrifty MacGyver type, uses a heat ray to unfreeze himself. And it defeats the Mandarin by by seizing his rings and demagnetizing them. And in a last act, Mandarin remotely assassinates one of his agents in Washington, D.C. for failing him. Iron Man destroys the Mandarin's machinery as well as his castle, but spares his life. The Golden Avenger then leaves the Mandarin and asks him to remember his act of altruism. Hmm. I really dug this story because I love when the Iron when Iron Man is going head to head with the Mandarin. The books always seem to be pretty good. Um yeah, that's all I got. Cool. All right, I'll go here real quick. Um, I've got Impulse number one from 97, or 95, excuse me. And I love the beginning of this book. It's by Wade and Ra- uh, Ramos. Love the beginning of this book. He's just going, he's racing a rocket, uh, a missile. And messing with the tracking system of the missile, 
before it goes and blows up a tank. I'm like, sweet. Because I've never read this. Um, so I'm like, oh, I'll check it out. And uh, I thought it was a good introduction. And then they use the him going to school. And the te- he ticks off the teacher, essentially. And so the teacher makes him, makes the whole class write a autobiography. And this is how you learn about him and where he came from and um, how he's hanging out with uh, Mercury and uh, Max Mercury and staying with him. And then it goes off into, um, he goes back to where the missile was fired a little bit later in the issue. And uh, they've managed to track him and realize that he was there to begin with. So they set up deterrence to stop him and they end up trying to capture uh, impulse. And that's where it leaves off at Uh, first half of the book. I thought was really good. Um, It was really hard to read the autobiography part because they had it written in cursive and I can read cursive fine, but it was, you know, when you're not used to reading it for a while, it, yeah. it was a little bit more challenging. Uh, you get used, so used to seeing everything in text speak and everything, so you think it's okay. And then you read that cursive, and you're like, uh. so it probably took me a little bit longer to get through that section than it probably should have. But uh, overall, I thought it was a decent book. Um, it's something Landon was really into, so we got a few issues, so I just took one of his and tried it out. And, I can see why you really enjoyed it. And Mark Wade doesn't do much wrong. So that's what I had. All right. Cool. So I did Fantastic Four number 11 from 1963. Hopefully that's a foot or a hand. But a hand. <laughs> it's a hand. My phone. This is just chewing the juice out of my phone. So I had to plug it in. <laughs> So I did the first appearance of the Impossible Man. And nice. In the opening for Marvel Masterworks Volume Six, Stan Lee does a little blurb in here about how everybody stumbles once in a while, and this is probably his biggest stumble because of all the letters they wrote. Because this character is so damn stupid. Um, <laughs> because it went away from the the storyline a lot, and. He introduced this character from the planet of Pop-Up, and he's like Marvel's Mr. Mixipidilic or or Batmite. Right. He's he's lanky, he's green, he's got a big old pinhead, and they call him Pinhead throughout this whole thing. <laughs> he he can turn into whatever he wants because on his planet, people don't evolve over millions of years, they evolve over seconds. So anything he needs to do, he'll just evolve. So if he needs to evolve into uh, like a concrete block, he can evolve into a concrete block. Or if he wants wings, he'll just evolve into a bird. And he's super annoying. Like all he wants, <laughs> all he wants is attention. And he thinks that his vacation time on Earth is the best time ever because nobody can do anything about him. So Reed Richards has this idea of like, oh, hey, this guy craves attention, so why don't we just ignore him? We'll tell everybody in the world 
every cop, every policeman, or every fireman, everybody on TV, every politician, every every garbage man, every everybody, to if you see Impossible Man, just ignore him. And after a week, he gives up and gets really bored and says that he's going to go home and tell the tour industry that Earth is a bore and any Paponian it should not go to Earth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is by the great Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So the character gets better. He gets wow. a lot more funny later on. But this was a goofy issue of the Fantastic Four. If you can get any goofier than the original Fantastic Four, this one is like uh, 11 compared to their <laughs> 8. I would love to hear this on the old time radio show for an episode. Oh my God. Who would they get? Don oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That would actually be a good fit. It or Jonathan Winters. That yep. might be too, too new, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe some ripped torn. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now we're going to move on to our book of the week, Avengers number 33. What did we think, guys? I absolutely love this. It's great. Um, Yeah. I am not a Moon Knight fan, and I thought this was the perfect Moon Knight where he was kind of a villainous role. Yeah. I thought it worked really well. Um, and the characters he was taking on. And they he did it without actually showing a whole lot of fighting outside of Iron Fist. He's like, yep. bam, done. Got it. Move on. Um But he couldn't he couldn't do anything to, to Black Panther though. Did, no. No, he But did, didn't Black Panther end up going with him? Yeah, he just gave up. He's yeah. like, I give up. Yep. Yeah. Meh. I'm not fighting you. <laughs> and <laughs> when he battled Thor, I'm like, that is ingenious. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I might actually continue to read the Avengers if stuff like this continues for uh, Jason Aaron. I'd be yeah. interested. It made me want to read the next one. Yeah. I mean, read the whole thing. So, I will say this: this uh, Moon Knight is a lot more interesting than the last couple series have been. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's like I actually really dug it. He was like, "I'm not off my meds. I'm just fine. <laughs> I'm not crazy." Yep. So no, yeah. I. And when on the last page and I looked at it, I'm like, this is where they're going to shoot it in the foot. And I'm going to be like, Nope, don't want it anymore. They did. They didn't do that. And yeah, this was excellent. Fantastic read. It was a good book. Yeah. All right. So we got anything to pull people into the shop this week, Ryan? Oh, 20% sales still going until they say otherwise. So 
Uh, that's still hanging in. Um, they're bringing some more issues over from storage and putting them back into the shop. Um, and that's basically what's going on right now. All right. Well, it's time for everybody's favorite segment, The Random Reads. Kind of lost my breath there. Sorry about <laughs> that, guys. Who wants to go first? Me, 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 me. All right, you go first. You go first. All right. Okay. So first one I did is I've got three of them. I got Day of the or Dead Day by Ryan Parrott and uh, Evgeny Bornovsky, maybe. Um, sure. <laughs> um, I am kind of tired of zombies. Um, and I don't read a lot of zombie books. This was a different take where on a certain day, the moon aligns just right with the stars and everything else every few years. And some of the dead will come back during the night. Some people celebrate it and others are like, Walking Dead, lock up the house, get your shotguns ready, that kind of a thing. And it's about this family where the wife is um, apparently made a promise at some point in the past that on Dead Day she would go meet this person if they resurrect. And it's just for the night. So the next day they're all done. They go, they die where they are. Um, or they go back to being dead where they are. And she goes into the city with her husband and her kids. And she goes to buy some bullets and stuff like that. And the price had been marked up from like $25, a thing of bullets to $167. And she's like, well, I called last week and you said it was only $25. Yeah. It's dead day now and people need to protect themselves. I can sell you this baseball bat for 75 bucks. So she ends up buying the bullets, leaves the kids and the dad at home, and goes out to meet what appears to be her ex-fiance, who has happened to die. Uh, The story itself was okay. I'm interested to see what the whole deal is with the Day of the Dead with the wife. Uh, The part that made me want to talk about this was at the back of it. There's a little pamphlet. Uh, it is an information pamphlet for Dead Day, a family guide to understanding and staying safe during the return of a loved one. And so it goes into what you need to know about timing and staying safe outside, uh, connection, uh, staying healthy, staying secure inside. And then they got a do's and don'ts of Day of the Dead. So it says Dead Day. So D, drink and eat responsibly. E, expect heavy... Traffic delays. A, avoid houses performing uh, ritualistic sacrifices. D, don't allow pets outside. And then D, don't wear flammable costumes. A, always stay in contact with your family. And Y, yield to any and all deceased. I thought this pamphlet part was unbelievably entertaining. More entertaining than the book itself. Um, And I did enjoy the book. But this pamphlet kind of sold me on it. And... um, I'm like, yeah, I got to talk about this. So 
yeah, I would definitely say it's probably worth checking out. Um, right now, I'd probably give it about a three just because I would want to see what happens in the next issue if it carries on. Or is this going to turn into another like Walking Dead story? So um, there's that. Uh, the next one I have is Rogue Planet by Colin Bunn and Andy McDonald. Uh, this is an Oni Press first issue. Um, I wanted to like this, but it didn't do enough to sell me. Uh, it starts off on a planet where there's aliens, and they send out these homing beacons, and then they basically kill anybody that shows up. Is kind of the premise that you get. And there's a salvage ship with nine or ten people on it who have been in a sleep status, and they hit, the homing beacon wakes them up. So they go to the planet, and the planet is kind of alive, I guess. There's this big blob of eyes and teeth that go after them. Um, they find a scrapyard full of dead ships, uh, and the doctor with the expedition goes, hey, it looks like they, something skip, keeps on killing the air supply for these uh, people that are coming to the planet. Um, and it closes off with the guy, one of the, the captains saying, uh, be prepared because I don't think we're going to leave the planet alive. I have a lot of faith in Colin Bunn. Uh, I, I feel that the story probably could have used a little bit more meat to kind of get you going a little bit. Um, I don't know if I would check out the second one, but I wanted to see what it was like. So, And then the final one, we talked about the first issue of this, but the second issue made me laugh out loud, so I had to talk about it a little bit. Outer Darkness, Chew, number two. Um, so... Outer Darkness pulls the guys from Chew forward in time, or at least that's what they think. And um, they actually find out that they're getting pulled from a comic book. So their world didn't even actually exist. And I don't want to give too much away, but they actually even make reference to um, the food that is being supplied is coming from Layman's other book, Farmhand. Um, which apparently is in reality, opposed to being in a comic book. And one of the best parts of this book is they make reference to uh, Layman and Gallery when they were talking about how they got pulled from a comic book. And they basically said, these two are idiots, and they don't know what they're doing. And they... Layman uses uh, backwards timelines to explain what's going on. And then he promptly uses it a little bit later in the book, explaining the backwards timeline. Um, it was a very entertaining book. It was well worth reading. I can't wait until the third issue. Um, once again, John Layman's just killing it. So definitely check that one out. Awesome. Cool. Cool. So... I'll go next. Is that all right, Nick? Yeah, it's fine. All right, I picked up Marauders number 10. What? I've been, <laughs> no. I've been waiting two months for this book, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it starts out, Storm 
tells Forge that Russians, a group of Russians, are making power dampering weapons. How'd they get a hold of this technology? Because it was his technology when he was working for the Department of Defense. And he said he destroyed everything, but the guy he worked with had a photographic memory. Uh, Then you skip to the Quiet Council, and they're talking about what to do about this. And Magneto, they're like, we need to talk about this. We can't let, you know, we shouldn't be, should we do it this way? Should we do it this way? And Magneto's just like, Tell the white queen to the white queen to leave no tell, no one to tell the tale. So he's basically authorizing Emma to go in and wipe everybody out, which is so Magneto. Um, you skip ahead to the there's a Russian ship in the ocean, and they're near the equator. But a iceberg has come up out of the ocean to stop them where they're tracking, and it's but they're by the equator. Yep, okay. and it's it's storm and Iceman manipulating the the elements together to make the iceberg. Got it. They drop onto the ship. They're trying. They're going root. Re- Room by room to take out the uh, the uh, the Russians, and Pyro and Emma are pinned down, and Emma, whoever's writing Emma is the who is it? Jerry Dugan, yeah, Jerry Dugan. I like his version of Emma. Because she's just like, we're trapped. And he know he goes she goes, I know when I've met my betters, but you are not it, and she unbuttons her shirt and her <laughs> her chest is showing. <laughs> and <laughs> she telepathically tells every single one of them to shoot each other in the leg. <laughs> and Basically, they have a super weapon, the mutants do, Krakoa does, and it's a UFO, and the UFO destroys the Russian ship with the technology on board, and then they're back to Krakoa. And at the end, Kitty Pride has been murdered, but for some reason they can't resurrect Kitty Pride. She isn't allowed on Krakoa, and for some reason the resurrection protocols aren't working out hmm. for her. So, yeah, that's been the ongoing storyline: is her them trying to resurrect Kitty to bring her back to life since they can cheat death. Um, you look like you have a question there, Ryan. I can't remember. How did Kitty die? Uh, Sebastian Shaw betrayed her and threw her, stabbed her, and threw her overboard. Oh, that's right. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, sorry. 
No problem. <laughs> it's been a few months. <laughs> yep. So I'm still absolutely loving this book. The characters that they have for this book fit perfectly together as a team. And uh, I, I recommend you guys reading it, but read it on trade. Um, but yeah, it's really good. Took me a while to remember everything that was going on as I was reading it. Downside of the uh, stuff stopping printing for a little bit. You don't realize how much that affects things. Yep. So that's what I got this week. Cute. Awesome. All right. So, you know, the dollar bin dives. So sometimes you get a piece of crap, right? So uh, I, I got get it a lot. Trust me. I know. Right. I got 13 <laughs> coins by Simon Beasley. Oh, no. Horrible. Mm. I don't even know what I read. Uh-huh. The artwork is incredible. Story, horrible. Well, I don't mm-hmm. even remember it. So uh, is it good? Is it bad? I don't remember. It's not good. The art's it's great. horrible. <laughs> but uh, no. Mm-hmm. It's color, and that's exactly what it's worth. Maybe less. I'd probably lean towards the less end of things there. Yeah. Maybe it's hamster mulch. <laughs> Man, because you know, this is I bought this when there was no books coming out, and it was on the shelf, and I was like, you know what? I used to read Femforce when I was a little kid. Probably not a good idea when I was a little kid to read Femforce, but I did. So I picked up Super Babes number three from AC Comics. Oh my god. This one's funny. <laughs> it's actually really funny. I don't know if it's worth the six dollars I paid for it. Because it's those it's a standard size, right? It's just a normal right. 30 page book, right? Oh, six bucks. bucks? I didn't notice that until I picked one up there at the counter. So this is a story that they're talking, they find like they're moving out of their headquarters like for the eighth time. So they, they're packing stuff up and they find this box of old records. And they're like, oh, I wonder if, if one of the other girls would like this, like Sin. Like Sin, she's, she's this weird girl that can like control perception, right? Okay. Uh, so they pull out this psychedelic album called Uncle John's Band, right? And it looks... Just like a Grateful Dead book, like cover. <laughs> I knew right. it was coming. <laughs> and so they go in this huge, long backstory of this band from the ni- like 1971. And this guy's name is Gary Jarcia. <laughs> Gary, Gary Jarcia gets hit by lightning while playing guitar and gets imbued with powers to make anybody who hears him sing do what he wants. So when he's like, hey, everybody come out to see the band next week or tomorrow night when we're going to be able to, and people will start following him. And this is how the Grateful Dead started getting their followers because Jerry Garcia had abilities to manipulate people's brains. And everybody who heard him would do what he wants. So that's why the records never sold very well, but everybody loves them live is because when you record Gary Garcia's voice, it doesn't have the same superpowers. So you have to see him live to get affected by his voice. And everybody's like, this album is garbage. Why would anybody want to go hear this? 
This is stupid. It sounds like twangy country music. But the guy that says this looks exactly like the angry video game nerd. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and so they send one of the girls, her name is Sin, down to investigate. And yeah, it's, it's just so stupid, right? So the, 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 my favorite part is they describe the concert. And the concert that she goes to see is two and a half hours long. Seven songs and twelve meandering jams later. That's that's, that's, that's how their concert is. So <laughs> it's just like, man, you, this guy must really either love the Grateful Dead or really hate them. Whoever who wrote this, because <laughs> it, yeah. So Jerry, Gary starts going a little bit more insane. He wants to start taking over the world, and the only person that knows his secret is his bassist. So he kills off his bassist. And well, he goes, he puts him into a coma and sin goes into his brain and she's talking to him. And then she goes and tells, okay, this is weird, right? So she takes a different part of Gary out of himself to make him talk to the other part of Gary. And he tells him that you don't want to be a musician anymore. You want to be, carpenter or plumber i think he's a plumber you, you just go to be a plumber you don't want to do music anymore and then he believes him and he does what he says and he goes and becomes a plumber and they break his guitar just in case that's the whole issue this book is strange <laughs> like it is just so weird like it's not it's i, I don't know i like it but six dollars worth probably not <laughs> Oh wow! So. <laughs> so that's all I. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. That's all you got. Yep. All right. So now we're gonna move on to the top ten. The list. It's top ten. H characters. What? I'll go first. Number ten, Heimdall. Number nine, Hepzibah. Number eight, Hellion. Number seven, Damon Hellstorm. Six, Hercules. Five, Hellcat. Four, High Help Evolutionary. Three, Hellboy. Two, Hawkeye. And number one, Havok. Havok. He's a Vulcan, right? Yep. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> is Tupac or Tuvok's brother Havok? Tuvok? Have, Tupac's Havok. Yep. Havok. My top 10 is just all the Hawkmen in the different incarnations. No, oh. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> are, 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 oh, I are. forgot. I forgot Hawkman. Damn. All right. 10's Hammerhead. 9, Havoc. 8, Human Torch. 7, Hank Henshaw. Six, Harley Quinn, Molly Maine. Not that crazy one that runs around with Joker now. Five, He-Man. Four, Hobgoblin. Three, Hawkeye. Two, Hawkman. Number one, Hal Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) You knew it was coming. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I just put a piece of paper up that said Hal Jordan number one on it for him. And I was right. Okay. Oh. Uh, number 10, Hyperion. Number 9, Harold H. Harold. Number 8, Hawkeye. 7, Hellcat. 6, Damon Hellstorm. Gotta be number 6. Uh, 5, Havoc. <laughs> 4, Hercules. 6, Howard the Duck. 2, Hobgoblin. And number 1, The Human Torch. Wait. Huh? You just what? you went six five six. Did I? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Let me do it again. All right. Ten Hyperion. Nine Harold H Harold. Eight Hawkeye. Seven Hellcat. Six Hellstorm. Five Havoc. Four Hercules. Three Howard the Duck. Two Hobgoblin. And one the Human Torch. Okay. And that helps fourteen. a lot. Fourteen. <laughs> I don't know where I'm at. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Anybody got any news this week? Okay. Well, if you like what you hear, um, give us a like, subscribe to our show, and leave us a review. Okay? Yeah. Have fun. Read more comics. It's been Kirk, Nick, and Ryan. And Ryan. <laughs> He's frozen. Waited to the end of the show to, to go nuts. Hey, Jim. What time does the supply ship do in? Our food supply's getting pretty low, and it'll be dark soon. It's overdue already. Overdue? Boy, there must be a better way of making a living than running a lighthouse on an island in the middle of nowhere. Whenever folks on shore need anything, they hop down the corner store and get it. <laughs> but out here, you got to sit around and wait and wait and wait. Hold it, Pete. There's a message coming in on the radio. Yeah, same old story, I suppose. Supply ship delayed until tomorrow. Shh, quiet. Good Lord. The supply ship has disappeared. Disappeared? On a day like this? Not a cloud in the sky. Not a white cap. The report said that the Coast Guard got an SOS a few hours ago. A sudden violent storm kicked up, and the ship was going up. Going down, you mean? No, no, it said going up. But the ship's radio cut off at that point. Maybe they meant it caught fire and she was going up in flames. Flames? We would have seen flames. But that reminds me. Remember the Aurora Borealis last night and the night before? And unusually bright for the northern lights this time of year. And strange how they look like a, like a curtain of light dropping from the clouds to the ocean in just a small area. Northern lights usually seem to fill a whole part of the sky. Wonder if they affect the weather. Talk about the devil. Look out there. The lights again. And am I seeing things, or is that a wall of water going up from the ocean to the sky like an illuminated fountain in reverse? You're not seeing things, Jim. That's just what it is. Aquaman! Hi, Jim. Pete. And Mara. What are the king and queen of Atlantis doing out here? We've been studying those mysterious lights and their effect on the water for some time now. And frankly, we're worried. 
What if that curtain of light is in reality a sort of magnetic siphon controlled by intelligent beings from outer space? Intelligent beings from some water-starved planet who, like ourselves, need water to survive. And who have worked out a method of draining the ocean to provide life-giving water for their own planet. Congratulations, Aquaman. Excellent reasoning for a mere earthling, I must say. And who are you and what are you doing here? I am Hydro, the dehydrator from the planet Exodum. I have come to warn you, Aquaman, to remove all living things from the oceans of Earth. But without water, they would die. That is your problem. I am just trying to be what you would call humanitarian. In any case, within 24 hours, all the oceans of your Earth will be siphoned off to my planet. Within 24 hours? That's impossible. Oh, is it now? Look carefully at that curtain of light. Do you see that spaceship at the top? When I return there, I shall pull a switch which will activate the full power of our electromagnetic gravity intensifier. Magnetic gravity intensifier? That explains the wall of water rising out of the sea. Precisely. But what you see is only a small demonstration of its power, similar to the one earlier in the day in which the supply ship for this lighthouse was unfortunately caught up. You murderer. We wish Earth people no harm, but the people of Exodum must have your ocean. You have been warned. Farewell. He's gone. What are we going to do, Aquaman? Without water, not only everything in the sea will die, but so will every living thing on land. We've got to stop Hydro before he pulls that switch. Come on, Mira. We're going to swim out to that curtain of light. Here we are, and there's the spaceship. Way up there. Aquaman, we're being pulled up with the water. Just what I figured. We'll ride the water right up to the spaceship. Ah, there it is. And there's the airlock. Hang on to me now. And we're in. Aquaman, how did you... Never mind that. Quick, Mira, jam that switch. Got it. Curse you both. But you will pay for this. The automatic controls on the spaceship have been activated, and we are already on our way back to the planet Exodome. Aquaman, he's right. We're moving up. No, we've stopped. We're going down. Right. Look out that window. It's Topo, our pet octopus, and a whole army of giant squids. They're pulling the ship down with their huge arms. How did they get up here? I sent a telepathic command to Topo to get his friends, the giant squids, and ride the wall of water up to the spaceship. The way we got up here. And pull it down to the sea where we shall turn you, Hydro, over to the authorities on land. This was Exodum's last hope. I have failed my people, and now they are truly doomed. But life on Earth has been saved thanks to you, Aquaman. And to you, my beautiful queen. (laughs) 